Welcome to the Brave Feminine Leadership Podcast, where we share stories from amazing leaders just like you and me. We break down myths of leadership, imposter syndrome, and we ask what brave feminine leadership means and does it need to change? All of these interviews were originally recorded in video format. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Brave Feminine Leadership for news on when new video series will be dropping. It's wonderful to meet you. Drop me a note if the content resonates. Melissa at bravefeminineleadership.com. Let's get brave. Welcome to our interview series on Brave Feminine Leadership. I'm thrilled to have Dr. Katrina Wallace join us today. How are you, Kat? Yeah, I'm fantastic. Thanks, Mel. Good. Um, before we jump into our conversation, let me help the audience out by just giving them a little bit of your background um, and wonderful achievements. So Dr. Katrina Wallace is the Executive Chair of Artesian Capital's BOAB AI, Australia's first artificial intelligence accelerator. She's also the CEO of Ethical AI Advisory and was the founder of Flamingo AI, an artificial intelligence software company based in US and Australia, and the second ever women-led company to list on the Australian Stock Exchange. Um, interestingly, once a police officer and a nightclub owner, um, Katrina is now one of the world's most cited commentators on artificial intelligence, on the future of work and responsible technology and ethics. Katrina sits on the board of Reset Australia, is a human rights activist, climate change advocate, mother of five and grandmother of two. <laughs> did it. Thank you. Thank you, Mel. Fantastic. So, Katrina, for people in the audience who haven't had the pleasure of coming across you before, I might ask you to spend a little bit of time and just talk to us, you know, a little bit more about your background and what an interesting one that it is um, and where your passion and drive comes from. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if I start um, at the beginning, I actually only ever wanted to be a farmer and a mother. I wanted to have lots of children and, and work on a farm, marry a farmer. That didn't end up being what I do, uh, but we do have a farm, which is very nice. So I went on to, I studied agriculture at uni, uh, dropped out, became a police officer, worked in the underbelly days when it was you know pretty dark side of the cops. Uh, after that, um, with a couple of people, you know, owned a nightclub down in Double Bay. Then I built a management consulting practice, eventually did a bachelor's degree, master's degree, PhD in organisational behaviour. So I became very interested through those paths in how organisations behave. And then I went on to found a market research company called ACA Research, a human-centred design firm called Fifth Quadrant, and then eventually the company that I'm probably most well known for, Flamingo AI. So we were one of the Australia's first AI companies. So very, very early, uh, we built our own machine learning product. I, because there was no funding here in Australia for um, startups then, which is actually only five years ago, mm -hmm. I took the business to America. And certainly there was no funding. Well, there's $20 million in full VC funds, but very little, if any, if that was going to women-led businesses. So I went to America, set the business up in America, and then for the next four years, spent two years in Australia, two weeks in Australia, two weeks in the US, back and forward, until in 2016, we listed the company on the Australian Stock Exchange. We were one of the first AI companies. And as you mentioned, the second only woman chair, woman CEO business ever to list on the, the Stock Exchange, which really disturbed me at the time. It's like, wow, mm. this is this is not a thing and that's been a whole journey being a 
a female CEO on running a, a young public company. Very, very difficult, actually, story. And then um, we exited out of Flamingo last year, which was fantastic. And now I am doing what I have always wanted to do. And that is um, sit as a chair on the board of a venture capital uh, fund and advisory firm to help young AI companies come through and, and scale up. So all of that is kind of my part. Uh, it's been predominantly in a sort of a hyper-masculine environment. So I've learned a lot about women in leadership and I do a lot of thinking and talking about women and, and girls and how we, we, we must get women and girls through, particularly in my field in, into artificial intelligence, where at the moment there's only one in 10 jobs held by women in this mm. field. Okay, so there's uh, some extraordinary passion for a whole range of different subjects in there. And I remember some stories years ago, you were just talking about that period when you were traveling to the US, two weeks on, two weeks off. You know, I remember some, um, I don't think you've ever been shy to share your experiences about how life really is, uh, which I think is, is a lovely thing for people to hear that it's not all as glamorous as it might be cracked up to be. Um, but yeah, I mean, there were a lot of miles done between here and Australia um, over that time. That must have been an extraordinary passion taking you there. Yeah, it, it's quite incredible. You know, when you do things and, and all of the audience will have these, these moments, right, where you've done something and it's now in your past and then you go, holy shit, how did I do this? <laughs> was I thinking because I had young children so of the the five children two youngest ones were still at home and they were mid-teenagers and so if I was away for more than 10 days at a time I would take the children with me so I had to deal with the schools who were not happy about that take them with me um, we didn't do any any homeschooling at all they just came and sat in meetings with me with venture capitalists so yeah learned different stuff hey I think so, although one time I accidentally kind of let them run free in New York and was trying to find them in the in the afternoon. I was ringing my daughter Indigo, who would have been 16, my son 14, and they were doing the science, they were at Times Square doing the Scientology um, oh. uh, questionnaire. And so I had to run out of a meeting and run down and grab them out of the Scientology um, office. So that was uh, the only kind of risky thing that happened. But yes, so, so what I learned through that, Mel, was um, in order to, to be a woman leader and to be doing big things like building an AI company or building a company from New York whilst having a single mother whilst having children at home, how did we have to be? And, and it was, the word for me was unconventional. So unconventional in our parenting, unconventional in our relationships and unconventional in our leadership style in order to hold all of that together. So for me, it's not, oh, can we have it all? I don't even think that's the question. Like, can we do it all? Yeah, I think we can, but not using conventional models. Okay. Okay. Um, you mentioned you learned a lot about sort of leadership in that time. And I'm just wondering, you know, there, there's a whole heap of reasons that, that prompted this um, series of interviews. But one is the fact that, you know, when it comes to the number of women in leadership positions, we've really stalled. And we haven't seen a lot of progress in the last sort of five years. Um, it's just fascinating to me. And I just wonder whether you've got a perspective on that. Yes, look, I do. And I'll tell you why. So I, um, being a female high tech company, capital markets, there's just no women. I'm never in the room with women. 
And, and that was always disappointing to me. Uh, it made me, made me very sad. And then I'm, I'm very plugged into the feminist movement, the women's movement, ha have been for years. And yes, I think it's a matter of quotas and it's a matter of education. It's a matter of filling the pipeline. But I, I also thought it's more than that because there are plenty of times where I would be sitting as a CEO of a listed company and I was thinking, I actually don't want to be here. I just, this is just doesn't have any meaning for me. This is, I'm just empty. I'm doing all the things. I'm playing by the book. I'm going up and going down. I'm, you know, the share price is up, share price is down. It's not even that. It was just, this is not really what I want to do. This is not really meaningful. I thought it would be, but it wasn't. And so it got me to thinking, I wonder if women kind of falling out, and we know between that age 30 and 40, where they should be stepping up into leadership and they're not. What if it was for other reasons? What if it was not the education, the equal pay, all the traditional things that we talk about? What if there's a particular journey that women go on that we don't really talk about in, in the mainstream? And what if I could start to see why I'm feeling like I'm feeling? I should be at the, the height of my happiness. And I was, I was empty and I didn't want to be there really didn't want to be there, but couldn't get out of it. Um, so I started exploring and, and what is very useful for me is my, my partner's name is Dr. Anna Rubenstein. And he is world famous for rites of passage for men and boys. So he's been running programs for 25 years. My son, um, Hunter Johnson runs the man cave. Hunter works with young men redefining masculinity. So I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by men who are doing men's work and looking at taking men through rites of passage and men's journeys. Mm -hmm. So uh, there was one day Anna had a book by Maureen Murdoch, which was called The Heroine's Journey. I went, oh, I didn't even know there was a heroine's journey. I know the hero's journey. Mm. What is the heroine's journey? So that caught me by surprise. I'd also learned through Anna's work that when men are doing a rite of passage, it's about going out and conquering something or achieving something or, or, or killing something in a tribal sense. But when women do a rite of passage, it's an internal journey. It's an internal journey to find, connect with your intuition and to connect with the sisterhood, to see other women as your sisters, not as your competition. Mm -hmm. And so then I, went, I thought, well, why don't I look into and explore the heroine's journey? And so I've, um, using the work that Maureen Murdoch has done, has kind of identified sort of seven stations that we women go through and then to see, you know, where do I sit? And then the more I talked about this with women, they said, yes, that explains why I am wanting really? to leave my job. So, so that's kind of where I got to with it. That is fascinating. And I would really love to step through all that with you. Um, there's some sort of things you've said in there that will resonate to an interview I did with Penny Lacasso. Um, and Penny um, is um, the author of a book called Hacking Happiness. And Penny talks about, she was with Shell for a long time, um, had a wonderful career, but got to sort of 39, um, had ticked all the so-called traditional boxes of success uh, and wasn't happy. And so she tells her journey, and I just think it would be fabulous for you to step us through what those seven phases are. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so, so phase one we call 
um, separation from the feminine. So this is happens when we're young girls and when we're, we're and again, I'll use some generalizations in this and yep. also talk through masculine and fem feminine that is quite binary. I'm actually much more around sort of the fluidity of things, but, but let's just go with this for now. So when girls are young, they're all about ponies, dollies, fairies, tea parties, those sorts of things. As they get towards later primary school, you see that starting to drop away and it is what we call separation from the feminine because what they're seeing then is all of the things their brothers are doing or their fathers are doing are being really well rewarded by the schools, by the sports clubs, by the family and the things that the girls are doing are not really getting that type of recognition. So the girl starts to separate from the feminine and the next step on the station, so there are seven stations of the heroine's journey, the second step is identification with the masculine. So then we as young um, women, so say teenagers, start to go, okay, well, it seems to be the things that society expects of me is that I have an education, I get a good job, I earn money, I have a car, I have a family, I achieve um, my career. Mm -hmm. in exactly the same way that my brothers are going to do or that society expects of me. So this is identification with the things that are the masculine. And the things that are associated with the feminine um, are really downplayed and, and not well regarded by society. So possibly being a stay-at-home mother, being a carer, all of these things we already know don't have the same value or the same currency, right? Mm. Second station, uh, um, identification with the masculine. Then the third station, which is what your um, interviewee would have achieved, is what we call the illusion of success. So we get there and we're successful and, you know, I'm a CEO, a second ever on the ASX, blah, blah, blah. Um, other women get to positions of you know, leadership or in politics or, or running their own business. And then there is this kind of illusion of success. So we go, yep, made it, ticked all the boxes. However... Not happy. I'm not happy. I'm not healthy. There's something missing, but I can't articulate that because everybody looks at me and goes, "We want to be like Melissa or Katrina, or you're so successful." And then there's this internal dialogue of, "I should be happy, but I'm not. I should be happy, but I'm not. I should be healthy, but I'm not. I should want this, but I don't." Mm. And so the um, third station, fourth station, is. Um, the emotional and spiritual aridity so we get into this where we go okay i've stopped feeling and spiritually i don't know what my purpose is i don't know i don't have the passion anymore i can go through the motions and i can be very good at my job and don't, don't even know what i like don't yeah my interests all of that yep yep could be reflected in i'm putting on weight i'm cranky with my children or or all of these, I'm, I'm having troubles with relationships, but really it is about our still disconnected from our, our true self as, as women. So, so there we have the um, emotional and spiritual uh, aridity. And then the next station is the one that I love, which is called the descent to the goddess. So this is now, I'm so unhappy. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm going to have to start to strip everything away. And this is where we see women starting to leave the workforce or starting to have quitting behaviors they they just i don't want to be here I, i'm going to go on a women's retreat i'm going to go 
up to Byron Bay and go on some spiritual um, discover the goddess with something, something, something. And so descent to the goddess is we strip away things and we go, who am I? Mm. And what am I here to do? Because this whole 30 or 40 years I've just done is satisfying on one hand, but just lacks meaning and substance and feeling for me. I'm just, it just doesn't feel like it's my purpose. Mm. So so that's when we um, really descent into, pretty, it can be a pretty dark time, pretty dark time. Um, and for me, I called it like the quagmire. It's like I'm just wading through the black tar of my life. Um, you know I want to you know ask which phase you're at once we get there, but keep going. <laughs> so then the next phase is yearning for the feminine. So, so that's when we go, oh, I'm tired of like, all of the masculine stuff. I'm tired of the workplace. I'm tired of the politics. I'm tired of the sport. I'm tired of it. I need to be with women. And then we. this is where we start seeing women joining women's groups and set, setting up women's circles. And that's where the women find their refuge, where they finally find other people at the same part of the heroine's journey and go, I am, I, I need the support of my sisters. Mm. And then the next second last phase is a very interesting one. It's called um, healing of the feminine self or healing the mother-daughter split. So Maureen Murdoch calls it the mother-daughter split, which could be your own mother, your daughter, or the mother and daughter relationship within yourself. So that the self-care, so that you just haven't self-cared. So then there's work to do in just actually healing all of that sort of broken feminine inside this will be some of the things that you think about yourself i'm too weak i don't speak out loud enough um i'm not assertive um i don't get enough pay i've never asked so all of those things that you've done and you go oh shit let me look at all the things that i've done to hurt myself to help hurt the feminine i've done that to myself other people have probably contributed but largely i've done it to myself i need to heal that i need to no longer allow that to be uh, an identification with myself or allow that to be true so there's a healing process there and then the final station is really the integration of self so it could be if we look at the binary sense integrating okay well, the first part of my journey was all around the masculine the last part of my journey is all around the feminine let me these two bits come together and let me be able to step into my power as a fully integrated woman who's been on the heroine's journey down deep into the descent, deep into the quagmire, or down to the goddess, and then then come back out, knowing who I am as a woman, and and what that might be is, um, I can only now do work that is meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. I can only work in teams where my values are aligned. I can only work with companies where the the brand is is associated with doing something that I believe in. Mm-hmm. Now that might be, I might believe in a hugely profitable, you know, hugely successful business. It might not be all save the environment or save the children. Yeah, it's about it matching, right? And can I ask from the sort of research you've done and, and from the book as well, is this, um, are there typical age stages or do people just go through this at really varying times? Yeah, look, probably both. So if we look at it, it is definitely age staged. And this is where the um, emotional and spiritual aridity before then the descent to the God, that, that's when we start seeing the women peeling off. And also the women at that time, maybe 30s to 40, so somewhere around there, 
is the time they potentially, if they choose to be mothers, are having children and they just go, this little baby, meaningful, this work, not meaningful. So it's not necessarily, oh, I need to look after my baby. It's this is no longer meaningful to me and this is meaningful to me and I'm looking for meaning in my life. I'm not necessarily looking for motherhood or children or, or work and career, but I'm looking for meaning. At this point in time, this is more meaningful. So I may not go back to work. And I asked that question because some of the people I've interviewed have talked about um, getting to the point, and in one situation it was after having children um, and going back to work and feeling like there was a real values misalignment um, in the workplace. And, um, you know, this person stepped out and started up their own business, um, which is growing very successfully. And I asked the question, and I've asked a couple of people this question who've sort of stepped out of the corporate space, could their companies have done anything different to retain them, to, you know, identify what was going on? Like, do you think companies can do that or is it deeper than that? Uh, I think companies can do that. But we need to think about where and how and when when they do that, right? Mm. So uh, if, if it is that the company can identify for the individual woman, you know, what really is her, and I use the word strongly, what is her purpose? Not, not more than values. Like what are you here to do on this planet? What do you really feel you're here to do? And then as a result of that, what are the things that you value? What are the things you want to work on? And, and how will you be able to bring your best self? And every day you wake up and you want to be doing leadership because you're so passionate about this. It means it gets you out of it. You want to do it. Mm-hmm. And you'll figure around your family and your children and your partner and all around that. And, and that, I think, would be a very good conversation to have. And But what we see, Mel, is we've all, you know, all done so what are the company values? Teamwork, integrity. Um, what's the other classic ones? Um, uh, respect. 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 Like what? What? What is that? That is not that. I want to know that they know that I, me. So I value injust, uh, justice. Yeah. That's my thing. Like I'm all around justice. I don't like things that are unjust. I don't like things that are unequal or unfair. That's my driving passion and and value has anybody ever asked me in my 40 years 40 years of working nobody has ever asked me they've just told me here are the values of the company do you agree with those yeah sure teamwork great respect great where where are you on this journey and would you be comfortable sharing with us some of your steps through some of the phases yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) I'm, i'm a classic on this one so um definitely me when I started what did I want to be a mother and a farmer that's it that's me as uh, a young girl that's what I want to do as when I was going through and I went to James Drew's Ag College and I went to University of Sydney Uni to do Ag and that was where I saw instead of people going to work on the farm they were becoming investment bankers so I went ah okay you don't become a farmer by studying agriculture you go into banking so that was then definitely a separate a separation um, from my feminine ideals of being a farmer and a mother into oh okay now I need to be a business person oh okay that's not really one I've got zero interest in business but that must be it. 
Yeah, many of us have done that, right? So then I've identified with the masculine. And look at what I did. Um, I did, then I joined the police, very masculine. Um, I was the owner of a nightclub, probably very masculine. Uh, then I built a technology company, predominantly. So, so I'm way in that world, right? And all the way through it, building the businesses and, and building the AI business, there was always this nagging thing like, is this really me? This is really what I want to do. Like I seem to be quite good at it and I seem to be able to do it, but I don't know if it's there. And then what cut in, Mel, and this is an interesting one too, right, is a bit of identity and ego. Mm -hmm. So then once you get on the path, and you've been here, Mel, you've been in extremely senior positions, I'm a CEO, I'm a chairperson. It's like, I don't want to go backwards. I don't want to not be those things. I get very good accolades for that. Yeah. So I don't let go any of that. You end up attaching a lot of identity to those to those things. Absolutely right. Yeah. And so if I look at what I did, even building the Flamingo business, I left my young children, as a me as a single mother, with them sort of struggling anyway because we'd separated and spent almost half my time in another country building a company. And then justifying to myself, oh, look, I'm an entrepreneur and this is I'm a great role model for these kids. And there's a lot of truth in that. But also with that came up, there's a lot of damage that's been done to those mm. kids. Mm. And that now I can see much easier in hindsight that they really suffered. Mm. And I was able to do it all, but the kids really suffered. And in the kids suffering, I suffered, but I would not allow myself to admit that because that would be weak. Yep. Or that would be, I'm letting down the female, you know, We've all got to be up there and we've got to be leading and I've got to be a tech leader. Yes. But really, I was, I was not doing well. And what really saved me in, in the darkest moments was mindfulness meditation. So I learned to meditate. Um, I've always done quite a bit of exercise. But then I started back on a spiritual path to kind of go, okay, look, I don't know that I can keep going. I, I, then I got to the emotional, spiritual aridity going, I, I just don't want to be doing this anymore. And that was maybe a year and a half ago when I said to the board, I, you know, I want to sell the Flamingo business. It's, it's time to do that. And, and we were really struggling. Also, the business wasn't going so well. So it, interestingly, I can almost kind of track my well-being and the business's well-being hand in hand. Yes. And then I said to the board, yeah, I, I want to um, sell the business and we need to do that. And, and I was clear. And then I was so motivated to do that. And we did a good job on, on getting the business um, sold. It's difficult selling um, a, an asset out of a, a public company. It's just not, not an easy thing to do, but, but yeah. we did it. And so where I, so to your point, um, I've been down into the, darkest depths of myself and the way I describe it Mel is like you go down to the bottom of the the quagmire and then you go it can't get any worse I can't be any un more unhappy and then something else happens to go oh <laughs> didn't know the quagmire had a basement oh look <laughs> there it is there's the basement and and kind of kind of fell through there I've also done a lot of work with women and the yearning for the feminine so I've I do women's circles I do women's retreats I do women's networking groups and that's that held me together 
through a lot of the dark times for me, for sure. And then now I am very much at that sort of, I've, uh, I've done a good job to heal the mother daughter split the, the feminine self, but still need to do some more work on that. And now I will only do work that aligns with my values. But interestingly enough, and this is like, this is like, holy shit, isn't this incredible? What am I doing? I'm the chairperson for a venture capital fund, which you might think would be completely the opposite, but in fact is exactly where I want to be and stand firmly as a woman, as a woman leader. And what is great about um, the team that I have at, at BOAB on the board is they also want that. Mm. They want diversity, they want inclusion, they want to be the VC firm that is supporting women and, and diversity. And, and so I am perfect for them, they are perfect for me. Uh, and, and so I've ended up somewhere where I always dreamed to be, but not the way I got there, right? I had to go through this journey. And that's really fascinating because what I hear in that is that um, you're you're able to show up as your full self kind of thing. Like there's you know right. there's no uh, no trying to be something you're not and all those sorts of things. And I understand, and this was from us speaking previously, um, Kat, that that was a bit different than the experience when you were sort of listing the first time round. Um, Yes. Yeah. Oh, most certainly. So, yeah. So when we were listing, which was in 2016, and I was new to the capital markets and public markets, and it was brutal. So, and I had no idea of how brutal it was going to be. So a, a few quick stories um, regarding investment. So um, there was one time we went, as soon as we listed the company, we went to do a capital raise and we were presenting to a group of men in Melbourne and as we were flying back to Sydney, we got a call saying, look, the investors all put in a million dollars into the business, which we were thrilled about, that's great. And they said, but there's one condition for that. And I said, uh, okay, well, is, that, is it revenue or, or what might it be? And they said, no, no, the condition is if the female CEO takes her nose ring out. So oh, gosh. Yeah. Yes. So I said, no, can't be true. And, they, and my director who's on the phone saying, no, is, is a joke, is it true? And they said, no, no, it's absolutely true. If the female CEO takes the nose ring out, we'll put a million dollars into the company. And it was like, what the hell? So next That's day. expensive nose ring. Yeah, like the, it was a smaller one. I went and got a bigger one the next day. And obviously we didn't take the cash and it was my first time of going, oh, wow, this is real. This is live and real. Um, other times people said to me, we'd love to invest in your company. However, because you're a female and you're a female CEO, we, we, we're not going to do that. Wow. Um, yep. I've had investors say, um, look, I really like your company presentation, but you should brush your hair more. You would look better if your hair was brushed. Um, another man that said, I couldn't concentrate on your, your capital markets presentation because your dress is so beautiful. I couldn't stop looking at your body. No, like what the hell? Like all of this still... Every day, every day, every day, every day. So we had that just in abundance. Um, and you and talked then, about second guessing yourself a bit as well through that phase. Yeah, well, look, I really had no experience in doing it. I had to try and figure out how to do it. I don't think I did a particularly good job. Um, in hindsight, 
I, there's a lot that I would have done differently. And it was very painful, 24 by seven on call to in, you know 3000 investors, the media all over everything that we did. And it was extremely difficult. Um, and I did not want to be there. Yeah. Do you know, um, you picked up this theme earlier, but I'm going to ask the question because I have asked everyone the question. There will be people uh, watching this interview and they'll be thinking, you know, Katrina's amazing. Um, mm. You know, when I think of the journey she's been on and everything she's done and achieved and I could never do what she's done. How do you respond to that? <laughs> well, there's really not a lot that's amazing about me at all. Um, I... What I am is resilient. So I just get back up and I just get back up and I just get back up. And part of that resilience comes from being a woman. And because I've had um, you know, difficult relationships, I've had sexual abuse as a teenager, I've had some domestic violence as an adult, uh, I've been a single mother. So all of those things that are, you know, that many of us women have to face has actually made me pretty resilient. Mm. So I can handle a lot, you know, I can really handle a lot. And that was very useful in the difficult times that I had to go through running a public company. It was extremely useful because I know how to deal with trauma and hardship and uh, abuse in, in many ways. And I was able to, to with, withstand that and, and, and actually deal with it pretty elegantly, I think. Um, so that was, kind of in this bizarre way, the things that we women deal with can actually be quite useful then when we want to do it in a professional setting, to have that resilience already is a good thing. I um, I agree with you. I'm sort of shaking my head at the um, uh, almost comparing some of the really terrible things you went through um, as good training ground for running a, running a listed organisation. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, wouldn't wouldn't wish those things on people. But men, look, let's be if we're going to be brutally honest, most of us women have to experience some of those things, and they're tough and they're traumatic. But the other side of it is this resilience. Really interesting the comment you made around um, viewing the you know the sisterhood and the support of each other and leaning on each other and viewing each other in that way as compared to the competitor. You know, is, is that sort of female competition thing, is that a stereotype or do you think that's real? Uh, well, I know they talk about the, you know, the queen bee syndrome and um, women uh, competing. I think to a degree it is real um, and it is perpetuated, I think, now for our younger women in through social media as in you know who is the most beautiful who is the most fit who is the most um attractive who gets the most likes all of those sort of things is come in whereas in back in my day it would just be like um who's the most popular girl yeah. but now it that's what on mass and on scale so i i think it is probably there however on the other side of it there is a lot more support groups and women's groups and girls groups than ever there was in my day they didn't really exist in my day so I think there is the support but I would say it's still a fundamental thing that um, women still think they need to compete with women mm. and once we realize we don't once we realize that we should just be taking our sisters everywhere we go 
that's such a relief. It's like, oh gosh, that's not even a thing. It's not even my construct. It's not how I want to be. And through that sisterhood, I think women grow and, and find a foundation and then can take risk and can try new things because they know they'll be healed. I'm fascinated to know with your partner, Arnie, how, Arnie, how do I say it properly? Anna. Arnie. Tried to, tried to put all sorts of fancy things in there, didn't I? Um, where do, how, how are the men travelling through this kind of path at the time we're going through our own sort of journey? How, what are the guys doing? Mm. Well, isn't that interesting given that we're at the time now of the consent issue, um, the rape in parliament issue, uh, following on the back of the, the Me Too issue, all of that is, is very relevant. Look, I um, think the men are doing it extremely tough. And I know for a fact the young men are doing it extremely tough. Yep. And I know that as much as we are concerned about the girls, we need to have an equal concern about the boys because the boys, in my view, are lost and the men are probably lost as well. They don't know what they can talk about what's safe to talk about. Um, but different to we the women, we tend to share our feelings and we'll have our, our girlfriend groups. The men still, and particularly in, in Australia's culture, which is quite um, masculine, that is not yet an accepted way to behave. That if you've got a problem as a young man, you go and cry or share your emotions with, with your peers. You don't do that. No. And in the Australian culture, it's all around banter and sport and prowess um, also associated with you know sex um, drinking um, cars fighting you know these yep. are things associated with masculinity so what um, Hunter my son works on is trying to redefine that and he has he's worked with thousands and thousands and thousands of boys in Australia and the moment the boys are able to take that mask off and actually have these conversations you know, the most beautiful young men are all behind these boys who appear um, not that way. So I think the boys are suffering deeply in a different way to the way the girls are suffering. So we've all got these masks on mm. a little bit, don't we? Um, so apologies to Arne for butchering his name about five times as we went through that. So um, Katrina, can I ask you, the, the question I'm asking everybody in the series is, what does brave feminine leadership mean to you and do you think it needs to change? Yeah, so look, I'm very much of the mind from my own experience that to be the best leader we can be as women, I'll go back to referring to a young woman's rite of passage, her journey inwardly, the heroine's journey, which is a journey inwardly, we have to have the bravery to journey within ourselves. We have to find a way to actually know who we are, what we stand for, what our values are. And there are various ways to do that. Um, but I think that the, the bravery to actually be able to look at yourself and know that you are doing well, doing well happy in the work you are doing or not happy, um, aligned with your whether it's family or health values or anything else, for me, it's always going to be a journey internally. And I know that whilst I was out of alignment 
didn't know myself, was in denial about a whole lot of things, my business was failing. And I had to go, as I said, like a couple of expressions, you know, into the hall of mirrors, look at myself. I had to journey down into the darkness. And when I went down there, you know what I found? I found that I had unresolved sexual abuse from a teenager that was now playing into me. And I'll, and I'll give an example of that. It's um, I have um, a fear of authoritarian older men. And so because for me, uh, it wasn't uh, a friend of a family, an older man who abused me for three or four years. So I then have a fear that I see play out in the workplace. And, and it was maybe only a year ago that I went, holy shit, that's where that comes from. It's why am I just saying yes and acquiescing to these powerful authoritarian men? Oh, I see why. And then there, you know, so it's, it's, there's a lot that we can do where we actually have to kind of really look at what our lives have been, what are all the stories we've told ourselves about who we are, and try and uncover those, get just to ourselves, heal that part of ourselves, and then come out. So, so I don't think bravery is necessarily taking on the next big venture. Bravery is taking on our internal journey to ourselves. That's beautiful. I'm going to assume um, when you say that, that um, you didn't do that all by yourself. Did you lean on other people as you went through that? Um, I have done a couple of things, actually, uh, a couple of probably controversial things. So I definitely did a lot. Meditation was very good. Yep. And Mel, you're one of those people that, you know, all these CEOs who do meditation yoga say, oh, yeah wankers like I mean oh no now I get it like yes I get holy shit it's the only way so um yoga meditation definitely reading I read a lot of books um listen to a lot of podcasts did work with a counselor um and then I did some more kind of spiritual path work and easier for me because half my time is up in fire and bay right and then um and uh not uh, not something that is well talked about, but I've also think that there is value in looking at mind medicine like psychedelics. Okay. I think I think there is a whole movement now around um, using other types of natural medicines to start to do these internal journeys, and I think there is some value in that as well. So it's multiple levels of support. I've seen a lot of uh, increasing information around that. And I think I first came across it in a, a Goop uh, TV series um, maybe right. about 12, 18 months ago as well. Yeah. So, so Katrina... Organisation is a great organisation called Mind Medicine um, that's founded a not-for-profit in, in Victoria that is starting to just share um, some, of the, some of the information around how these natural medicines can support people go through um, transformation. Thank you so much again for, um, you know, the absolute honesty and, and vulnerability um, you've shared with us um, in your own journey. I know that there will be so many people who will want to understand more. So what I'll do um, is pop a number of resources underneath this interview so that people can actually access some of the things that you've spoken about. So Katrina, thank you. Um, lovely to see you again and have a chance to have a conversation with you. And thank you so much for, for joining and being a part of this really important conversation. 
Awesome. Thanks, Mel. And thank you for being able to hold the space for this extremely important conversation and stories to be told. Hello there. If you're enjoying the podcast and would love to accelerate your own growth and leadership, then head to bravefeminineleadership.com forward slash brave tips for your gift from me, where I've captured all of the amazing tips and themes that came out of these conversations. I hope they help you feel your brave rising.